to take even a step further of where we're at in our lives today, of what it means to live out the lives that you have called each and every one of us to live. Help us to understand you better, understand Jesus better, understand ourselves better. As we already sang, may our eyes and our ears be opened to see who you are, to hear your word this morning. May your spirit work within us to draw us closer to you and make us more like Jesus. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you find out some specific truths, it can change the way that you understand your whole reality. Just think of movies, for example. Think of one of the biggest movie plot twists in the history of cinema. Right? I'm talking about Star Wars, okay? I'm not a huge Star Wars guru, but most people understand the reference. There's a moment in one of the movies that shifts everything. When you find out that Darth Vader is Luke's father, it changes the way you watch the rest of the movies. It radically changes the way you see that entire reality of Star Wars from that point on. Now think about our Christian lives. There's a truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done that's been put in front of us that if we believe this truth, it's meant to radically change the way we see our whole reality. It's meant to change the way that we see the world. It's meant to change the way that we feel about things. It's meant to change the way we interact with everything around us. And that's where we're going to see John leading things today. The whole book of 2 John is about walking in truth. And we're going to see kind of three different areas where John applies this truth specifically to our lives. There's not a whole lot of context to give about 2 John except that there was 1 John. Right, So John has already written a letter that we're going to actually reference back to a little bit to give some clarity because John's already, John is referencing some things he's already spoken to people or already written to people. And also, the letter of John is going to ultimately point us to the gospel of John, which is why it's kind of a front runner for us as we're going to jump into a study of that. So if you have your Bibles or you can follow on the screen, Second John Starting in verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. 
Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. So the first thing we see here with John is the truth that John is going to talk about through his whole letter is a truth that unites. Right here at the beginning of the letter, we see John begins it by addressing the elect lady and her children, which is John's way of saying the church. There's a specific church that John is writing to here, and when he says elect lady, he's not talking about a singular lady, he's talking about the church. We see this other places. Paul references the church as the bride of Christ. So it's not out of the ordinary for John or any apostle to reference the church as a she. And then he goes on to say, and your children, right? So it's the church that he's writing to. And he establishes something right from the beginning. Look at verse 1. He says, to the, the elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. So essentially what John's saying is there's a truth that pulls all these people together. Right? He's saying that all who hold this truth have a deep love for each other because of that truth. Right? John says, I love the elect lady and her children in truth. But not only me, everybody else who knows the truth loves those who are in the truth as well. Why? Why is this truth so uniting for them? Well, look at verse 2. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. The truth that these believers hold on to is a truth that actually dwells inside of them. It's not just some sort of informational truth, like you and I would say the law of gravity, for example. While we can agree mentally with the law of gravity, the law of gravity is not something that abides in you as a person, as if it has some sort of living presence. But that's what it seems like here, that this truth has some sort of life to it, because it actually abides in people. It dwells within those who believe it. But not only abides in them, but it will be with those people forever. We have lots of truths in our world that are not going to last forever. But we have two elements to this truth that John is talking about. It abides in people, has a life to it that dwells in people, and it's a truth that never ends. It continues on into eternity. And so when a group of people have the same truth abiding in them, and it's a truth that goes on for eternity, those people then have a unity together as they hold to that truth. 
And then as you go to verse 3, we see where does this truth come, come from? What is this truth? We see grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. So the truth that holds all these believers together, John, this church that he's writing to, these other believers who know the truth, the thing that holds them all together has its roots in the Father and the Son. And later we saw, and we will see again, that John actually refers to this truth as the teaching of Christ. So that gives us a better idea here. When John says there's a truth that he that these people believe, that he believes, that others believe, that's holding them all together, that abides in them, and that's going to go on forever. It's the truth of Jesus. It's the truth of who Jesus is, of what Jesus has done, which, again, like I said, points us to his gospel. So while John doesn't develop a whole image here, a whole uh, understanding of what that truth all entails, because it's in his gospel, we can at least understand what he's saying here, though. The truth of Jesus is the living truth that abides. And the truth of Jesus is the one that's going to go on into eternity. Brothers and sisters... Those who believe the truth of Christ should have more in common with each other than with anyone else in the world. You might hear that, and you might have some objections pop up in your head. You might say, that hasn't been my experience. I don't feel like I have the unity or the the things in common with other believers in Christ like I do with some of these other people. So let's take it one step at a time. Let's at least agree that what you hold, what we hold to be true in our lives, unites us with other people who hold that truth. Let's look at a couple examples. Think of sports, for example. If you believe the Indianapolis Colts are the best football team in the NFL, does that unite you to a group of people who believe the same thing? It's called a fan base. Or if you think that country music is the best genre of music. Does that unite you to other people that like to listen to that? I would imagine so, otherwise there would be no such thing as concerts. Or movies. Is there a group of people that are united around a certain genre of movie? Just look at Comic-Con. Right? Where they have all of the superhero stuff come together in this huge celebration and convention that they have. So we can agree to this, right? That those who hold the same truth have a unity together. It automatically pulls people together. Now let me ask you this. How many truths in this world, for like some of the examples we may have used or others are truths that abide in you and truths that last forever. How many of those truths? You likely know the right answer. No truth in this world abides in you like the truth of Jesus. No truth lasts forever like the truth of Jesus. Right? You can think of science, for example. Let's take the law of gravity, for example. While Yes, it is a truth in this world, and it is a truth that may continue on for a long period of time, even in the new heavens and new earth, there may be gravity. It's not a living truth that abides in you. 
Or some of you might say, well, I feel like my passion for the Indianapolis Colts does abide in me. It's not going to last forever. The Colts won't be in heaven. Some of the players might, but the team probably won't. So no truth in this world both abide in us and last forever. So what I'm saying here is the truth of Christ is the only eternal truth that actually dwells in us. Thus, those who hold to that truth, believe that truth, experience the reality of that truth, should have a greater unity than any other truths you hold to. So if you feel closer relationships, closer unity to other people that you watch sports with, but those people have a disregard for Jesus? Or if you feel closer, if you feel like you have deeper relationships with an atheist that you work with rather than the people you go to church with, or if you feel like you have even a greater love for your blood relatives than you do for God's family, I'm telling you, you're somehow missing out on the unity that comes with the greatest truth ever. Some of you might object to the blood relatives one that I mentioned there at the end. Let me just read some words from Jesus for you here real quick. Out of Matthew chapter 12. Starting in verse 46. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus makes it abundantly clear those who are living in the truth of who Jesus is, his own disciples, he considers closer unity with than his own mother and brothers by blood. Jesus said that. Jesus experienced that and says that he has a closer relationship, better unity with those who believe in him than his own blood relatives. So you and me, who believe in the truth of Jesus, should feel a greater unity with each other than we do with our blood relatives who don't know Jesus. Let me clarify that. For those who don't know Jesus. If you have blood relatives that do know Jesus, it's an even tighter bond together. Or just look at Jesus' prayer before he goes to the cross. We'll see this when we study the Gospel of John. Jesus prays for those who are going to believe in his name. He says, Father, may they be one just as you and I are one. You hear the unity there? In the same way, the Father and the Son and the Trinity have unity with each other. He is asking God to give that unity to those who believe in Jesus. In a sense, you and I are invited into the unity of the Trinity. We don't become God, we don't become part of the Trinity, but we experience a similar unity that the Trinity has. I don't know about you, but this is why this pandemic has been so difficult at times. Because we show up with each other one day a week, 
for one hour, and even then we have to remain separate and isolated from each other. And that's completely anti what John was getting at here. Right? Just look at the New Testament. They're meeting in each other's houses. They're meeting with each other every day. These group of people are held together by the truth of who Jesus is. And we'll see as we continue on here that this truth unites us together because this truth is meant to change the way that we live our lives. It's not as it abides in us, it's meant to do something in us. Right? To believe something is true is to align your life with that belief. Just look at an example from our culture right now. All right, I'm not making a statement one side or the other, but I'm using this as an illustration here. We have riots going on in our world right now. Riots in big cities of people destroying things. But it's all based on a belief. There's a truth that those people hold to. And there's a truth that those against those people hold to. And let me establish the two truths that are going on here. The, the truth that those who are rioting, the truth they believe is that racism is knitted into the fabric of how our society was created. They believe that it's not just that there's racist people in this world, but they believe that racism is actually knitted together in the structures of our world, of our country. And so their belief then stirs their actions. They believe that the only way to then get rid of racism is to eliminate the structures. We have to break down these structures in our society in order to get back to stage one where we can start over. And then you have the other side that says, we don't believe that there's racism in the structures. We believe there's racism in individuals. There's certain people that do racist things. And that's the issue we need to address. Not the whole fabric of society, but the people in society. And so they think we can keep our structures. We just need to find ways for consequences for those who are doing these certain actions. And you see two totally different sides developing here because of two different truths. Is racism in the fabric of our society or is it in individual people? Whatever you believe there is going to establish what you think the right way of acting is. So we see what you believe to be true And the value you place on that truth influences the way that you live your life. We see this in John. He has a desire to see these people that he has unity with to actually live out the truth that they hold to. Look at verse 4. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in truth. So John somehow finds out that some of the children, some of the people of the church, are actually living out the truth that they say they believe. And John rejoices with it. That shows John has a desire to see these Christians live out what they say they believe. He believes that the truth of Christ is not a stagnant truth. It doesn't just abide in someone, and then have no influence on them. But if it abides in them, it has to affect the way that they live. 
He's saying that a truth cannot just be something, the truth of Christ is not something that just remains in your head where you believe, say, yes, historically Jesus died and was resurrected. But if the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection doesn't influence the way you feel about things, doesn't influence your heart and make its way to your hands and the way that you interact with this world, then you've missed it. We could really ask if the truth of Jesus never leaves your head, never makes it to your heart and your hands, is the truth really abiding in you in the first place? Because for something to abide doesn't have to actually dwell within all parts of you, not just in your mind. And then as we go into verses 5 and 6, John gives us an established truth here of walking in truth, means that you live in love. Look at verse 5 and 6. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have held from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. So now John encourages the church to live a certain way. He says there's a command that's been there from the beginning. It's not some new information, but he's saying if you look back at Jesus' life, his life was saturated with love for people. So as someone who claims to believe the truth of Jesus, your life must also exemplify that love. It should be an identifying marker of those who claim to follow him. We actually see a quote of Jesus done, right? Many of you might know this. They will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Now we can easily misinterpret this, especially verse 6. This is love that we walk according to his commandments. We can read this and we can think, okay, as long as I follow the rules, I'm loving. That's not at all what John's trying to get at. Let me clarify some of John's stuff here with 1 John. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Listen to what he says. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. Did you catch it? It's in both verses there. What precedes a love for each other, what precedes obeying the commandments, is a love for God. It's not just obeying the rules that shows love. It's the motivation included of why are you obeying the rules? Why are you living according to his commandments? Some of you may deal with this now with kids or grandkids. I do it as well as a perfect illustration. When you have a child that refuses to eat, right? They don't like what you put in front of them or they're just deciding that they're going to distract themselves and the entire family from dinner that night, whatever it is. When they decide they're not going to eat, and you offer them a special kind of dessert if they'll eat their food, 
is that child obeying out of the right motivation? Not at all. They've been bribed. Now, that doesn't mean that you might not see obedience out of the child, but their heart is completely off here. Their heart has no understanding of, I'm trusting mom and dad that they're putting something good for me in front of me. And so I'm going to partake of it to show that I trust them. There's no sense of, these things that are green are actually good for me. Right? There's no sense of that. This is, I know the end goal, chocolate, or whatever it is. So I'm going to do what I have to here, and probably do the bare minimum of what I have to here to get there. So we see that it's possible to do all the right things externally, but to never have the inward be correct. So brothers and sisters, to believe the truth of Christ means that we love God and we love each other. You can verbally say all the right things about Jesus. You can even serve Jesus externally. But taking John in his whole context of his letters, what's driving you to do it? Are you driven by God's love for you? Displayed in Christ's death for your sin? So that as a result of knowing that, you then put a premium on this truth of who God is, who Jesus is, and what he has done? You put a premium on that because you look at God's love for you and you love him. Or do you see your obedience as merely external, as a means of your fire insurance card, in a sense? That as long as I follow the rules, my heart never has to be addressed, and I'm still going to get heaven. Look at how John describes love in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. John tells us love is sacrificial. Now, most of you in here could probably say, with complete honesty, you would give anything for your spouse or your kids. Or some of you might even go beyond that and say, deep blood relatives, you would do anything for some of them. Or others of you might have great friends that you've had for decades that you'd say, I'd sacrifice anything for them. But here's the clarifying question. Would you give up more for them than you would for Jesus? And take it one step further, John makes it clear in this letter, as well as as his others, that it's not just a love for God, but it's a love for each other. So now the question becomes not just how much would you sacrifice for Jesus, but how much would you sacrifice for his people? If the truth you claim to believe 
doesn't stir your heart to love God, to love each other, to love to the point that you're actually willing to live it out and be sacrificial with your life, then what's the point of the truth? What's the point of saying you believe the truth if it doesn't really abide in you and cause you to live differently? The truth of Christ is meant to change the entire person and pull us together with each other. But there's one final thing John tells us, and that's that this truth of Christ also limits what we hear from others, right? Or it's a truth that filters. John goes on to a warning about people who are going out and teaching contrary to the truth of Jesus. Specifically, in John's situation, it was a group of people saying Jesus was not in the flesh, that he wasn't a real man, he didn't have a physical body. And they claim, by what we see in verse 9, it says, everyone who goes on ahead, right? So there's almost this sense that these false teachers are saying, you can actually move on past the truth that you originally heard. You, You can advance upon what you heard about Jesus. To believe that Jesus was not in the flesh is actually greater than the truth you originally heard. But John makes it abundantly clear Don't believe these people. Look at verses 7 through 9. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Those who are claiming that Christ didn't come in the flesh don't have the truth of Christ abiding in them. John calls them deceivers and antichrists. Do we have this today? It may not be a prevalent idea in our culture right now to say that Jesus wasn't in the flesh. Actually, I think in our culture, the pendulum has swung the other way, that Jesus was only a man. And it's not just atheists or agnostics that might say this, but we have people who claim to be Christians that believe this. We have Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, and we have other religions such as Islam and the Jewish faith, all of which say Jesus was just A man. So first, we must consider John's warning here as a warning against all those belief systems that deny Jesus as being truly God and truly man. But we also have prevalent false teachings that may hold to that truth, but not to other truths. So let me just give one warning real quick of a false gospel, a false teaching That's so prevalent in our culture, it's infiltrating our churches, and it's infiltrating Christian television. It's called the prosperity gospel. This belief that your faith will give you all that you ever hoped for. That God wants you to have money. 
that God wants you to be in perfect health, that God wants you to get every promotion, that every idea of worldly success you can imagine God wants you to have, if only you would trust him for it. Brothers and sisters, I hope our five-week series in Acts blew that theory out of the water. Christianity doesn't look like that. It never has, and it's never going to this side of eternity. I hope we can agree on that. But John takes one further step here that we see at the end. He says that those who give an ear to these teachings are participating in them. Look at verses 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. For John's society, to welcome someone into your home, a teacher into your home, was to say to the rest of the community, they're no longer to be treated as a stranger. So it actually gave that person that you invite into your home a platform to start conversations with people in your community, no longer to be isolated as a stranger. So John's saying here, if there's someone coming who's not teaching the truth of who Jesus is, teaching this false truth, and you receive them into your home, you're giving them a platform to your community. So he says, don't do it. But then he also says, don't even give them a greeting. Now, some of us think that sounds quite harsh. But you have to imagine in their society, for John and these believers, they greeted each other with Christian words. Look at John in verse 3, right? Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. That's a greeting. So if this false teacher shows up and they give a Christian greeting to them, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you, they're in a sense saying, oh, I believe you're a Christian. I believe you believe the same truth as me. So John's saying, don't give them that greeting. Don't give them any sort of handle on your life or any of the community's life so that they might promote this false teaching. John's instructions is to not give them any sort of recognition so that they don't have any sort of platform. That they're not treated as if they're a Christian if they don't believe the truth of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, genuinely believing the truth of who Jesus is requires you to filter out what is false. This first directly applies to the false teachings, right? What we talked about, other religions, other versions of what people claim to be truth. Our world right now, even Christians in our world, love to syncretize. We love to pull pieces from other religions and apply them into our own and say, well, this looks good from Buddhism, this looks good from Hinduism, and I'm going to somehow try to find a way to make that work with Christianity, That's exactly what Israel got exiled for. You just look at their history was they were taking idols from other ones and saying, well, we can give some worship to them and still be faithful to Yahweh. And they end up getting sent into exile and their temple destroyed because of it. So first, you have to be careful to make sure all of your beliefs come from the Bible. 
Because the Bible is the lens through which we're meant to see the rest of the world. Let me describe it this way. I don't know if this is a movie a lot of you have watched or not, but I saw it all the time growing up. The movie National Treasure. Right? This movie where they're on the search for this this amazing treasure and they end up looking for it on the back of the Declaration of Independence and but what's interesting is at one point in the movie, the only way to read, to actually see the map or to get the next clue for the map is they have to take this pair of glasses that Benjamin Franklin might have made, according to them, and they have to look through this lens in order to see what's on the back of the declaration because it's invisible. And they find out that if you move certain lenses, different things show up. That's the Bible. You're supposed to put on the glasses of Scripture all the time and be looking in different parts of it, and it changes the way that you see things in this world. You understand this world differently through the truth of Scripture rather than the truth the world is trying to tell you. It means that everything you hear and see should be filtered. I'm not just talking about other religions anymore or other versions that claim to be Christianity. I'm talking about everything you hear and see in your world should be filtered through truth. If you look at TV shows or movies, how many Christians have grown calloused to the sin that's in these versions of entertainment? We have people who actually laugh now at what God calls sin, yet claiming the name of Jesus. Or look at our news media. They put all sorts of propositions about what's going on in our world and what you should believe about the world and what the best option is for the world. And we have to filter it. Let me just ask you a question. Brothers and sisters, what's the biggest issue facing America right now? If your answer isn't sin, then are you looking through a biblical lens that every single person is born with a sinful heart? That's the answer biblically. Now, I get that that plays out a lot of different ways of all these different things that we're seeing in our world, but the biggest issue, the main issue that causes any of that has got to be sin. Or if you have friends that are speaking truth to you or what they claim to be truth, what they're claiming is the highest value, what should be the highest value, are you hearing what your friends and family say and filtering it through the truth? Or do you just go along with it because they're friends and family and they must be right? If the truth of Christ truly abides in us, It has to make its way to our hearts so that we love God and each other. It has to make its way to our hands so that we actually live that out, that we actually tangibly do things that show our love for God and each other. But it also changes your mind. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you see the world. We live in a world filled with all sorts of stories some of which we end up finding out are fake news. Anybody ever been duped by fake news before? 
Anybody ever seen like a post on Facebook or other social media where this celebrity died and then you Google it and find out they didn't really die? It's just a fake story that's been going around. You sit there and you feel foolish for believing it, right? But in a world filled with all this information coming at us, I mean, it's got to take us time to discern what's true and what's not. But brothers and sisters, we have to ask ourselves, would people see our lives as fake news? Would somebody hear you mention that you go to church or hear you mention that you believe in Jesus and they lean in a little bit further to do their research, to Google you in a sense, to say, I'm going to listen in, I'm going to watch your life and see what it looks like. But then they start watching your life and they hear you speak the same way as everybody else. They see you treat other people the same way the world treats them. They see you worship the same idols that the world worships. They see that you have no commitment to know God through prayer or through reading his word. And to them, you're fake news. And the rest of the world's left watching us saying, I was foolish to think that they actually were going to live out what they claimed to believe. So for anyone listening in, here or online, that doesn't know Jesus, this is a truth that's better than any other truth you're going to be offered. It's a truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for you and for your sin that will abide in you and that will go on into eternity. For those listening in who are pretending to believe... You know that separation John told the believers to have from those teaching the false teachings? That's going to be your eternal separation from God. If the truth doesn't truly abide in you. And for those of us who do believe this truth of Jesus, may this be a truth that dwells within us that makes its way from our minds, it changes the way we think, to our hearts, the way we feel about God and about each other, all the way to our hands, that every action we do is driven by what already abides. And may this truth that abides be the one that's going to go on into eternity. And on that last day, when you get to stand before Jesus, may your story not be found to be fake news. But may God be able to say, well done good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, sometimes we can get so lost in the routine of Christianity that we've grown up just hearing these things and and knowing these truths of who Jesus is and what he's done that we can have our hearts unaffected by them. Lord, may we never lose sight of our salvation. The fact that we are nothing but sinners, deserving nothing but wrath, eternally separated from you, and you send your Son to live a perfect life, and to die experiencing your wrath so that anyone who trusts that truth 
would not have to be separated from you, but would be reconciled to you and would be able to spend eternity with you. And then you raise him from the dead so that we can live in newness of life, even here and now in the midst of a broken world. Father, may that salvation stir our hearts, urge us to have emotions and feelings of love for you and also love for each other because this is the greatest truth in the world. May it pull us together. May we as believers in Jesus be one just as you as the Father and the Son are one. May the truth hold us tight together May it stir our hearts and may it ultimately reach out to our hands that we live differently than those who don't have this truth. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.